Well, a very good evening to everyone who is here um, and everyone who's joining us on the live stream. Can I just pop in a quick uh, note before we begin? If you're a regular here in the evening services, but you don't come to the morning service, can I encourage you to come and give it a try? Uh, the morning services really are where Honey Ridge gathers. It's our regular fellowship together. Uh, it's our time where we take communion together. It's a time for the church to come together. And so if you don't come in the morning and you come in the evening, we're glad you're here. Please do keep coming. Uh, but if you'd like to, we really would appreciate if you'd come to the morning. Uh, that's really the heart of Honey Ridge is the morning services. Um, the best way I can think about it is it's a little bit like going to a family, a family day uh, where the dessert is being pulled out at the end. Uh, you don't want to miss the main meal just to have ice cream. The ice cream's good, uh, but don't miss the, the main meal. If you have your Bibles, don't you want to turn to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, for those of you who were here back in 2021, you'll remember that we started a series then on the parables. And so this evening, we're not going to go through every single one of these parables in excruciating detail. Rather, we're going to keep to the theme of Mark, where we're trying to take large chunks of Mark's gospel and bring out the big picture. We're trying to expose on an overhead in front of our lives the, the good news of the gospel and how Jesus met with everyday people. So if you are there, uh, let's read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34. Thanks, Al. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and, his, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still, other seeds fell on good ground, and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He said, to, he, or he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look, and yet not perceive, that they may indeed listen, and yet not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seen, seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but their worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seed sown on good ground hear the word. They welcome it and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. 
He also said to them, is a lamp bought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scattered seed on the ground. He, sl he sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, and although he doesn't know how, the soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then a full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that, when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was, speaking, he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Now, how blessed we are indeed to hear the Lord's word. Let me ask, what for you comes to mind when you think about stories? Which stories were you taught as a child? What made them so memorable? Which parts of them do you remember? And for the readers here, no doubt you have many stories, countless, that would be able to come back to memory of amazing characters and fond memories. And something which we often forget is that the Bible is a book. It's a book of books. And here in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 4, Mark records Jesus using stories to illustrate simple truths of the kingdom of God. And unlike the stories we grew up with, where the author's main intent is always for us to understand the story and to find joy in it, Jesus says that these parables have two uses. For some, it will bring great clarity on spiritual truth. To others, it will keep them from understanding. And so before we even jump in and look at these parables themselves, I want to focus in on verse 10 to 12 to understand why Jesus uses parables in the first place. Jesus turns from teaching the crowds for a moment and speaks only to his disciples and his close followers. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. Now we have to ask ourselves, and we have to be honest as Christians, if parables have the ability to bring clarity, why is Jesus saying that the meaning of these parables, the secret of the kingdom of God, is only given to some? and not to all. Well, Jesus' answer might surprise us. He goes on to quote directly from Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10, where God is commissioning Isaiah to go to the nations and preach. But God is not commissioning Isaiah to go to the nations and preach so that the nations will come back to God, but rather to demonstrate that if God leaves his people in their sin, no matter what level of truth they are shown, they will reject God unless he intervenes in grace. And so Jesus says these parables are given to everyone, but the ability to hear the spiritual truths within them is not given to everyone. 
Now, this doesn't mean that if you come to God for forgiveness in Jesus that you will be rejected. No, not at all. Rather, it means that for those who come to God for forgiveness in Jesus, you can be assured that by God's grace, he has already been at work in you. This is why Jesus says, to those who don't want God, these parables are given so that they will hear and not understand, that they will look but not perceive. And so keep that in mind as we look at these four parables. Uh, let me pray and ask God to, to help us this evening um, and just to commit our time to the Lord. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would help us now. Lord, for those who are saved here this evening, please, Lord, would you use your word to mature and to grow our faith and our love for you. Lord, for those who are not yet born again, for those who do not know you, Lord, please, will you use your word? Will you give them ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend? Lord, will you bring new life? We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory, Lord. Amen. And so the first parable we find Jesus teaching on is the parable of parables. Jesus says in verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Now, if you spend any length of time in church, you will know the parable of the sower from verse 3 to 9 and then again 13 to 20. But if you haven't, let's just do a recap. Jesus points us to a sower, a farmer, who goes and takes seed and he scatters it out. And Jesus explains that this seed really is the gospel. It's the message that he came to deliver to the world. And this gospel seed lands on people of all shapes and sizes. Muslims and atheists, Pedi and Afrikaans, Indians and Greeks. The seed is scattered everywhere because the kingdom of God is not found simply in Australia or Cape Town, but everywhere where God draws his people. The seed is scattered and where it falls is almost irrelevant to us. In the first place, we see the first ground where the seed falls. We see in verse 4, uh, the careless ground or the careless soil. These are the people who hear the gospel but have no interest in it at all. And Jesus says that Satan comes and takes away the word. And this is not to say that these people are robbed of a prized or precious possession. This is not to say that if some people were left simply for a few days longer that they would have come to Jesus. Rather, similar to cigarette ash that is dumped out of a window at an intersection, it is simply discarded. This sadly is much of what we see in the world today. And so let's ask ourselves a hard question as a church. What do we do with those who want nothing to hear of the gospel? Well, I think the answer is simple. Pray. Pray. We heard it this morning. Pray for God to be merciful. Pray that God would grant salvation by the power of the Spirit who is not numb and powerless for our stony hearts. He is not powerless against our wills. God is not encumbered and held back by our lack of desire. And so we pray. We pray because we are not God and because he is God. The second ground we see is the rootless. In verse 5, this ground is those who hear the message. They focus on the parts they like and they simply discard the rest. And they respond emotionally. It's this kind of hyper-intense, radical moment in their lives where it seems like everything is all about Jesus, but because it's often so much about the thrill and because it's all about the self and not so much about God, 
when trials come and there's nothing to hold on to, their faith is shattered. Sadly, this too is much of what we find today in the church and especially within youth and young adult programs. Many churches thriving on lights and flashing, uh, flashing lights and loud repetitive music and the kind of message which is all about love and hype and no depth. If you meet one of these young people, you'll find a typically sold-out radical Christian on fire for Jesus. But the second the trials come, the moment their sin needs to be confronted, the second uh, that they see that things are perhaps not what they were sold, this rootless faith fades and they shrivel up and walk back to the world. This sadly, and genuinely sadly, is why many youth leaders in their 20s are atheists in their 30s. This is why many teens who are given assurance by pastors and well-meaning parents because they prayed a prayer or they had a specific radical moment of engagement with God, but when things get tough, they walked away. And so what do we do with those who are rootless? Again, we pray. We not only pray, but we share the gospel. We not only share the gospel, but friends, we share the whole gospel. There have been many complaints that we have received over the last few years of the series that we've gone through that we address sin too often. If you want to ensure that the whole gospel is shared, make as much of sin as Jesus does and make as much of grace as Jesus does. Don't sell a cheap gospel. Call people to a full surrender to Christ, an unconditional surrender on the battlefield of their souls not only to the parts that they like. Be honest about the life that Jesus promises. Be honest about the trials and the persecution that we will face, not as radical, sold-out, on-fire Christians, but as genuine believers in our Lord Jesus. And friends, if this is any of us, if you find yourself in love with the idea of Jesus and not so much with Jesus himself, and you find yourself rootless, you find your faith shriveling, can I call you this evening to run to Jesus? But don't just run to the Jesus that you've created, run back to his word. Go to the word and study it for yourself. Submit yourself to the whole counsel of God and you will see a Jesus that is worthy of worship. You will see a Jesus that is worthy of your life. You will see a Jesus that is worthy to be trusted. The third ground we see is the fruitless in verse 7. Now, it doesn't always have to be trials or persecutions which pull us away from God. There are many professing Christians who won't say it out loud, but their lives show that if they had to choose between the world and God, sadly, God has got to go. We see this in the modern Christian family where parents are all consumed with their children's secular success, private tutors and extra lessons, weekend tutorials, individual coaching, but goodness gracious, our children are so tired they have no time for God or the things of God, unless we dare ask to bring your children to children's or youth ministry. Please, parents, realize the battlefield of your children's souls. We also see this in our jobs, where we find ourselves entertaining the idea of moving into positions and transfers, promotions and new opportunities, but it's a pity that those things sometimes pull us away from church, right? Or away from Bible study, away from regular fellowship, because, well, we all have to work, right? And what we don't see is that our hearts are so desperately sick. It's what the Bible tells us, that we struggle to receive correction. Not only do we struggle to receive correction, but when we receive it, we don't really know what to do with it because we've broken church 
and genuine accountability apart. Friends, when we leave our hearts unguarded, we find ourselves in this place of fruitlessness. Now, I know the parable specifically is speaking here of unbelievers, but I want to just point us to a reality in the life of believers too, is when we leave our hearts unguarded, we too will pursue worldly things until every ounce of our Christian walk is squeezed out of us. Perhaps an application question to ask yourself this evening. Am I being distracted by the things of this world? Do my closest friends have the ability to speak hard truths in my heart? Am I living open-handedly with what I have and with what I pursue so that at any time God can remove that in order to course-correct my soul to what he knows is good for me? In the pursuit of much, the distractions are real, and we're reminded in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12, the abundance of the rich man gives him no sleep. Friends, more of the world will not give us more joy in Christ. The fourth ground we see, which brings us much hope and joy, is the fruitful. When Jesus is explaining these different grounds, he gives us a beautiful contrast from verse 16 and verse 20, where we see the rootless hear the gospel and they immediately receive it. It's this instantaneous yet shallow embrace. Whereas in verse 20, the fruitful hear the gospel and they accept it. There's a kind of deep personal commitment. What Mark is highlighting here for us is the word of God is penetrating to a deeper level within the fruitful. Now, lest we find any reason to feel pride over our salvation and maybe how mature we are, remember what we spoke of earlier of how people come to hear with open ears. And so the main point we're meant to see from this first parable is that God has come and scattered gospel seeds over your heart. You can either reject it outright, you can either accept it emotionally, you can try and slot it into the free space you have left in your week, or you can personally, by faith, accept its message saying, Lord, I need forgiveness and your grace. Please be merciful to me, a sinner. Wash me with the blood of Christ and cause me to walk with you. So it leaves us to ask, how have you responded to Christ? What is your response to this Jesus? If, like me, you grew up in a church your whole life and realized only later on that, in fact, all the truths that you had heard and were even willing to say were not true of my own heart, how have you responded to Christ? Perhaps you're already baptized and a member in this church, and that slipped through, and by God's grace this evening, I want to ask you again, how have you responded to Christ? What we're going to see following this is how Jesus uses this parable to highlight how the other parables draw into it. And so we move on to the parable of the lamp in verse 21 to 25, which really contains two separate sayings. The first is from verse 21 to 23, and the second from 24 to 25. The first saying paints a simple picture of who we are, it, seems, uh, it paints a little bit of a picture that we can compare to living in South Africa with load shedding. If you were to buy an LED torch, why on earth would you put it under your cupboard or inside your cupboard? Why would you put it inside of a basket? Why would you hide it away in the kitchen? 
Jesus concerned with more spiritual things than load shedding. He, he tells us in verse 21, why would you take a lamp and hide it under, uh, why would you take a lamp and hide it under a basket? Why would you hide it under a bed? What good is a lamp if its purpose is cut off? Now, in part, Jesus is addressing those around him who really want Jesus for his stuff. Give us your miracles, your food. Give us the signs and wonders. Give us everything we want. And yes, if you get clouded out, that's a pity, but that's okay. Just give us what we want. And sadly, this is what the Jesus is my best friend movement really gets wrong. When you sell Jesus like a PlayStation and tell people he's your buddy, you end up treating him like a friend who owes you something. In another way, though, Jesus is addressing his followers. In that moment, Jesus, his light, is somewhat dimmed and hidden. We even see all throughout the Gospel of Mark how Jesus didn't want to attract too much attention to himself because he knew his crucifixion was coming. And so the truth being revealed is that one day soon, a day is coming when Jesus will no longer be veiled or hidden, and the followers of Jesus will need to be ready and have their minds made up. If they want to see the message of the gospel go out, they need to be ready to lift Jesus high up on the lampstand. Listen to the words of Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Church, Jesus' challenge to us is simple. Do you hide him in your daily life? Do you pull back from living as a Christian in public? Do you perhaps pretend, maybe not out loud, but maybe overtly, maybe a little bit more covertly, that Jesus is in fact not a part of your daily life at work or at uni or at school? Friends, if we wish to have the darkness be made light and for all the things that are concealed, like the evils of this world to be revealed and we want Jesus to be made much of, we cannot live as private, hidden Christians. And you will need to have your mind made up before the moment of testing. If you don't, we see the second saying in verse 22 and 23, in a sense giving us a prophetic vision of the future. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. In other words, if you hide Jesus away in your life, God will remove his shining light from your life. Now, there were three types of soil that we saw in the first parable of those who ultimately rejected Jesus for different reasons. And here we see the difficult truth of what happened to them. Because they had so little regard for Jesus, what little they had was taken away. Friends, if you are hiding the light of Christ in your life, it is not too late to turn to God and ask him for forgiveness. It is not too late to receive that forgiveness and free grace at the cost of our Lord Jesus. It is not too late to make much of the time that you have left. And so this leads us on to the third parable, the parable of the growing seed. 
Uh, we see this in verse 26 to 29. Now, this, this parable is the first of two parables that we see in verse 26 and 20, and sorry, verse 30, where Jesus specifically references the kingdom of God. The thrust of what we're meant to see here is the great blessing for us in realizing that when Christ is lifted high, when the true and right response of Christians is seen and embraced, it is not our skill, our effort, our desire, or any human ability that will make these seeds of the gospel fall on fertile soil. Now, to some of us who struggle with legalism, this is a great relief. What a blessing that people's salvation does not rest on you and I. To others who operate a little bit more on a get-things-done mindset, this is going to be really difficult for you to get practically. How can God call me to do something if it's not in my doing of that thing that it happens? Now, I'm not sure that this service, maybe, maybe in my preparation I was thinking of, of the wrong thing, but I'm not sure that this service is the right demographic for this, at least for many of us young, younger folk. But I know that there are many, many people in this church who love gardening. It's, in, it's one of those areas that if you get 10 ladies together, you'll have 20 opinions. And if you get 10 men together, you'll only get five things done. Now, notwithstanding the hours of skillful practice, decades on your knees in your flower beds, and often incredibly specialized yet strange areas of knowledge, Jesus says that at the end of the day, we have no idea how these things actually happen. We plant, we water, we put nutrients down, we do our research, but at the end of the day, we do not control it. Now, I think mostly us as young people who murder bonsais for a living will be willing to admit that. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on his land. He sleeps and works, and he does his job well, but he has no idea how his crops grow. Now, before any potential farmers in here throw something at me, the comparison Jesus is making is that the soils that we mentioned earlier, you and I have nothing to do with making, the, 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 making these soils fertile. Now, in, in my own heart and in my mind, even from Bible college days, I can hear the modern missions movement saying, hang on, Kyle, we make Jesus attractive by meeting people where they're at. I can also hear my friends in apologetics saying, we go and break down walls against false belief and empty philosophy. And I can even hear my own heart saying that if Amy and I just raised Olivia in the church, surely she will be saved. Yes, we break down empty philosophy. Yes, we remove weeds from our children's lives. Yes, we embrace as poor things as much as we can, all things so that we might win some. We do not make soil fertile. As much as my heart is burdened for this, friends, this is good news. Our hands are too sin-stained to be able to do this work even if God gave it to us. If we try, all we'll do is mess it up. But praise God, if you read with me, the soil produces a crop by itself. The blade first, the head second, and lastly, a full grain on the head. Praise God that he doesn't leave our growth up to us and he doesn't leave each other's growth up to us, but rather God brings growth. Now, if you're more of a controlling person, you might be wondering, how can I be assured that I can hand this over to God and trust Him with the outcome? 
How can myself and Amy be sure that we can trust the Lord with Olivia's salvation? And we see the answer given to us in the last parable, the parable of the mustard seed from verse 30 to verse 32. Now, from what I read, there are almost as many interpretations as commentaries on this parable. But I think the flow of these parables, uh, so far at least in what Mark is wanting us to see, is to have a great confidence in God's plan for these gospel seeds to be scattered into the world. But not just a great confidence for the seeds to be scattered, but a great confidence that there is fertile soil. But not just great confidence for the seed to be scattered and for there to be fertile soil, but for God to bring growth. And not just great confidence for fertile soil, for the seed to be scattered and for God to bring growth, but that he will accomplish his purposes. Now, I think a hint lies for us in how Jesus starts this parable. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Now, this commonly Jewish way of starting a story might be helpful for us in a certain direction. We'll get to that in a second. But if we simply look at the parable itself, Jesus is very clear. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. These gospel seeds which are scattered are nothing to the world. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But when this seed takes to fertile soil and the Lord waters and brings life, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants. Isn't that incredible? Not by my or your effort, not by our wisdom or knowledge, not by fancy tricks or smooth talking, something which the world considers to be absolutely foolish is raised up and overshadows everything. Now, when the gospel takes root, the life which is created is not lesser, neither is it on par with the things of this world. That life grows up taller than everything else. It is uniquely wonderful. And if you are in Christ, you are not meant to see yourself as something small and insignificant. God has made you into something wonderful. He has adopted you as his child. But if we move beyond the personal application for a moment, we also see how this parable is true of how God has planned salvation for his people. Back in Genesis 12, at the start of our scriptures, we see God making a promise to Abram to bring his family in, to be their God, and to adopt Abraham and his family to be his children. And Paul comments on how we know who that family is today in Galatians 3, verse 7. He says, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. So God scattered the smallest of mustard seeds and he grew for himself the largest of people. It's not about a country or about a, uh, it's not about a country or about a location, it's about a people of faith. A people who are according to this parable, those who have had the word of God planted deep down within our hearts. In other words, a people for God. We see at the end of verse 32 in our passage how these large branches grew out of this tree, so large that the birds came and put up nests. And if we read on in Paul's words in Galatians 3, verse 8, we see, Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. 
So this wonderful gospel tree of faith grew from one family to a tree which is bigger than any nation or country or people group. It is not limited by ethnicity or background. It is not only for the wealthy or for the powerful. I mentioned earlier, if you struggle in God's plan for salvation, if you struggle to see what God is doing, look no further than who sits in your seat tonight. If you are a Christian, you are proof that these parables are true. Your life testifies to the great work of God in revealing the secrets of the kingdom of God, in creating fertile soil, in the gospel of Christ shining bright into every place, and the wonderful work of God in growing these seeds of faith that are scattered. See, the wonderful truth of these parables is that the application for us is not passivity, We're not called to sit and do nothing, but rather because we know the outcome is secure, because we know the lamb wins, you and I can engage completely in Christ-honoring, spirit-led work in the fields of faith. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who, who, sorry, only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. So because we know that the kingdom of God is planted by Jesus himself and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and Jesus then commissions you and I to go out into the field and to be involved in this gospel sharing, seed scattering work, we should see this as an echo of the kind of tending of a garden that Adam and Eve should have been doing in Genesis 1 and 2. Unlike Adam and Eve, you and I are promised that the church cannot and will not fail at this task because the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to us. Therefore, we remember, therefore, we remember Jesus' words to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 17 to 18. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. What Did flesh and blood not reveal that Peter said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that there is life in his name? Jesus goes on and he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So friends, this evening I have to ask again, what will you do with the seed that has been sown into your heart? Don't discard it. Don't respond to part of it. Don't chase after the world while attempting to hold on to it. Take it, trust it, believe it, hold on to it. Exalt Christ by trusting in him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The wonderful truth of these parables that we have is that indeed the words are simple, but they will accomplish what Jesus said they will accomplish. 
Some will be hardened in their unbelief and in their rebellion against God. Some will hear these words and say, no, I do not want Christ, or I want parts of Christ, or I want Christ, but I also want the world. Yet others will see Christ and say, I want nothing but Christ. Church, this is why we pray. This is why we as a church pray. This is why we need to pray more. This is why we need to pray for one another more. This is why our small groups need to pray more. This is why we need to gather together to pray more. This is why our lives need to be characterized by prayer more is because you and I have no control over the fertile soil. Earlier I said in a sense it's irrelevant to us what soil there is is because you and I are not in control and you and I are not given that knowledge. And so we take the seed as commanded by our king, and we walk the paths and we scatter. And we scatter that seed far and wide, and we scatter it at work and at school and at uni. You scatter it in your family and you scatter it with your friends. You scatter it in the ministries here at the church, and you go out into the streets and you scatter it there too. We are not told who is fertile. We are not told where we will find that. We are told to be faithful. What we are, what we are told Regardless of how faithful we are, God is faithful. And we are told that we can trust in God. We can trust in his salvation plan because like a mustard seed that grows up where a tree that covers all these things, God is faithful to bring growth. And so can I ask, do we trust the Lord to do this? Do we not only trust the Lord intellectually that we know this is what we should be doing and hopefully there's evangelists that go out? But are you willing to take on this mantle for yourself? One of my great shames is that I went to a school across the road with 600 other young people Monday to Friday for 12 years, and the only person that I ever managed to invite to church, the Lord saved by His grace. What a shame. Friends, we are given so much opportunity. Will we take this to heart? Will we trust the Lord in this? Will we shape our lives around it? Are you willing to be a part of this? Because Christ has given this to you. Not only to the elders, not only to the pastors, not only to the deacons, not only to the youth leaders, not only to the children's ministry leaders, not only to the soup kitchen and the preachers. Christ has given this to you. If you are a Christian your ministry ground is as you leave this building. And Christ has given you this command with this truth, with this promise. I want to read verse 11 again. Jesus said to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. So they may indeed look and yet not perceive, they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Part of what makes it so difficult for us as a local church sometimes is that it seems like we're okay with the latter. We're just okay with people not hearing and not being forgiven. Will we take the gospel? Will this become our mantra as a church? Will we be willing to accept the call of Christ? Not just as a mission, but personally. Will this be your work? Let's pray.
Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you have shown us, for the grace that you have lavished upon us in speaking to us, in helping us, Lord, to know you, to know your will, to see your heart, Lord. And even as Jesus taught through these parables, and we are so blessed, Lord, to be able to have been able to read through this passage tonight. Lord, remind us again of these truths. Help us to see, Lord, that how we respond to the gospel really matters. That where we stand with you, Lord, matters. Lord, give us hearts to hear, to trust, to receive, to accept, to follow personally by faith. Lord, please don't leave us in our sin tonight. If any of us do not yet know you, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you tonight, Lord, draw them to yourself. Call them, Lord, that they might be known as one of your children. Lord, give them a heart to respond to you by faith, to trust in Jesus alone. Not to reject him, not to accept him in part, not to try and hold on to him as a part of their lives but with a real sense of abandonment of the things of this world. Lord, you are sufficient. You are all-powerful. You are our creator, God. And even as we were reminded this morning of why we pray, Lord, of our hearts being stirred as we look at you and what you have done in creation, as we see your awesome power, Lord, we're reminded that you are accomplishing your purposes, that you are doing this. And Lord, we ask that you would help us here at Honey Ridge to be a part of this. Give us hearts, Lord, which are desperate to see the lost come to know you, that are not willing to accept, Lord, the easy answers out. Lord, draw us to those who are broken and destitute that do not know you. Give us every sense of grace that we need, Lord, and gift us by your Holy Spirit that we would be able to go and speak truth. Forgive us, Lord, where we have been full of excuses in how we have personally responded to the gospel and to the gospel call on our lives. Knowing, Lord, that the Lamb wins. Knowing, Lord, that the outcome is secure. Knowing, Lord, that you have won. Yet we are still so slow to answer the call. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Give us hearts that are set ablaze for the good news of the gospel and the power of the Spirit to convert sinners. Lord, as we look this evening just at ourselves and see what you have done, we are assured of the good news of the gospel and the truth of these parables. Bless us, Lord, this evening as we go with hearts that are ready to serve you and with hearts that are responding to the good news of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.